It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning and welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. My name is Lincoln Shrike. He is Gordon Mack. It is Wednesday, October 21st, and we didn't get to it yesterday, but big news did happen on Tuesday right around wake-up time. Bahrain Sprinter World Champion in the 400, Salwai Nasser, is suspended no longer. She had a whereabouts case that included four whereabouts failures in a 12-month year. But as we know, knew from the 2019 Christian Coleman case, you can backdate those filing failures, which happened, and then one of her missed tests got wiped out due to a comedy of errors and misfortunes that we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, but once again, the whereabouts issue strikes and the AIU, the Athletics Integrity Unit, brought this case, left with a little egg on their face. Gordon, what was your reaction to this ruling getting reversed by the World Athletics Disciplinary Tribunal? And now someone who has had trouble taking their tests and staying on top of their uh, the whereabouts database if you will now getting allowed to to compete uh my reaction was uh kind of indifferent to be honest because all the whereabouts failures that have happened over the past year and a half have kind of just like been so much that like i'm starting to not care it reminds me of when there was like new russian news on like the doping situation every like four months about like, oh, they're still banned. Oh, they still are doing their bad things. And it's just like the news cycle of it just got so repetitive that I just didn't care anymore. I was like, I don't care about this whole Russia doping thing. Like mm. let, let them jump, let them throw, let them run or not. I don't care anymore. It's too much. Cause that's what it became like back in like 2018 and 2017 or whatever. And then in this situation, when we have everyone and their mom getting a whereabouts failure and you get them, you get them. And then like six months later, they're like, Oh, actually, never mind." You know, like, like Gabrielle Thomas, she's like, Oh, never mind. No, it doesn't count. You know, Christian Coleman, a whereabouts failure. And then a few months later, Oh, never mind. You can compete at worlds. It just feels mm -hmm. like another one of those things where world athletics or whoever's in charge of anti dope. What, what's the name of the, the organization Athletic that does integrity. it. Athletics yeah, integrity. Athlet yeah, AIU. I mean, in the end, I'm just like, it's all bullshit. Because it's just like, we have these rules. We have exceptions for the rules. We have, well, the rules technically are too hard or too easy. All this is just, it's a long-winded answer to say, like, I, I give up. I give up on yeah. caring about whereabouts failures because... In the end, where are those failures also like it's like a weird doping violation in my opinion because like all right, like it's just like I get the reason you need to do it because you can dodge tests, but like I don't know. It's just hard. It's like it's just hard to label someone forever a doper because of a do of a 
supposedly dodge tests. And then when you hear stories about like what Christian Coleman's saying, like they knocked on my door, they didn't call, and they're like, oh, we don't need to call you. That's not part of the, the rule book. I'm like, why do we have this rule? It's just like too much. Long-winded answer. I think she got off because she's an important runner in the sport. And I think it was a technicality. I think all these runners yeah. are getting off of technicalities. But I also think a lot of these runners are getting suspended over technicalities. So it's like they're both playing the technicality game, right? Oh, you're going to get me on a technicality? Well, I'm going to get out of it on a technicality. That's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. I fully believe in the need for this whereabouts system. And it's necessary because if it wasn't there, you would have international athletes of mystery perhaps you know not being able to be contacted to be tested and i and i understand um and i appreciate the aiu for wanting to hold these athletes accountable um they've really ramped up their initiative here in the last couple of years to have athletes follow through and that is why we're seeing a lot of these whereabouts things and seeing the numbers really spike that i think has come at a cost though as we have seen these cases come up uh, preliminary suspensions, and then there's been several high-profile reversals, which really leave the Athletics Integrity Unit with some egg on their face. Um, this case is pretty astonishing if if we get down to it, to it. When you talk about someone in Nasser who had four failures, whereabouts failures, three missed tests, and, and one filing fa failure within a 12 month span we knew all these were before the world championships she was allowed to compete at the world championships this case from start to finish from from like like from uh the third registered test to completion yesterday or whenever it was took over 400 days that is absurd that process is broken the the yeah. the uh, track and field needs to fix this issue Another thing that needs to be fixed is the any punishment, any a lack of punishment and punity for the athletes like Nasser who are allowed to get by on the fact that they did not update their app appropriately. Not only did Nasser not update her app appropriately and list the correct address and give instructions for this tester to get into her apartment, she doesn't even update her own app. That is outrageous that she is going to be able to essentially not do this herself and 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 benefit from that the mistest that was at the cent the center of this case um she listed the wrong address she gave no instructions to arrive to for the tester to understand how to get into her building he was knocking on a storage unit door it had the number 11 next to it the number 11 was associated with a parking spot not her number 11 apartment I, I've done food delivery in my in my life as a as a short term job. I know how complicated it is just in in Austin, Texas, to to find people's apartments. And I grew frustrated with people on Instacart or whatever it was when they didn't list. Hey, this is what you do when you come through. You're just expected to find this apartment, and every apartment's different. And I would get upset at people and be like, "Come on, where's the responsibility? Do you want your food delivered on time? Like, tell me how to get into your place. It's not always self explanatory." This is outrageous. She she basically benefited, and you can give her she's you know innocent until proven guilty. You can give her the benefit of the doubt and say maybe she had nothing to hide. But there is some raised suspicion when somebody doesn't provide all these details, list the wrong apartment building number. She lists nine sixty four instead of nine fifty four. Nine sixty four doesn't even exist. Thankfully, the tester was able to find the building just off of a photo. But she faces no punishment for having the wrong. A address listed. If I type in the wrong address to Amazon, my package is not going to make it to my house. And she was lucky that this guy was even able to arrive, but that he was not able to figure out the door. And because it, none of these instructions were, were listed for her or for him. And that benefits her. I don't understand this at all. So my, my, long-winded takeaway, I suppose, from this is that the AIU is wanting to do the sport good, but they have not figured out 
a appropriate and speedy way for this to actually be followed through. And I can't help but look at this case through the prism of the other high profile whereabouts case that is still ongoing, that is still going to be appealed. And that's Christian Coleman's, which also came in June of this past year, was also announced. Um, Coleman, there is some debate between him and his DCO, the, the, the doping control officer, about if the DCO was at the address that he was supposed to be at, if he was knocking on the door. Coleman says he was at his apartment in his window. He has receipts to prove when he left. It's going to be a he said, he said situation, like I mentioned. It feels like this is the perfect scenario for Coleman to also see his case dropped. And if that happens, I mean, the AIU it already feels like a joke. But if Coleman is able to get off, if you have two world champions get off under seedy circumstances, I don't know what the point of the whereabouts thing is anymore because it seems like you can just get off. And that's going to show athletes who maybe, I, I'm not going to say if Nasser or Coleman actually have ill intent or if they're actually hiding something, but it, it, it's going to spur on athletes that are trying to hide something and say, well, worst case scenario, I get a whereabouts case against me. I get three failures within a year. I'll just have my lawyers get out of it and, and I'll be fine. Like, this is ridiculous. She was able to to get off on this. And it, and it just shows me that it, it's good news for Christian Coleman, in my opinion, um, because he could have a similar argument. And if there is not definitive proof on the side of the DCO that he was knocking on the corrected door. door. Remember that Christian Coleman says that the, the, the address listed in the report is not his address. Well, that gives you that little window of light that, that puts in that doubt that suggests that Coleman may get off here. Yeah. Before we keep going, how are you holding your mic? Is it on a flat surface? Yeah. I think because you're holding it when you hold it, it makes noise while you talk. Oh, you put sorry, it like on a, really... on like on, maybe put it on a table or something. Are mm. you on a bed? Is that why? That's too much to ask. Yeah, I got a bed. I got a, I got a house, man. I got I got people in other places. Yeah, other rooms. I think you echo. need a. Yeah, well, I think you need a final place where you just put it on a desk and you sit in a chair, because when you're holding it, it's making a pop sound every time you move slightly. Mm. Yeah, the issue is I got a baby and sleep in one room. The other is rooms it, what, are being uh, Are you in a room by yourself by, right now? Yeah. Okay, we'll put it on the floor then. I'm not going to sit on the floor. I'm way too old for that. My back would crack in half if I sat on the floor. Well, we and see I, if you got a solution because it's uh, the mic, when it's not, when you're holding it, you slightly just kind of like a little bit of, you get, you get, you get a little bit of those. Yeah. The people okay. want to hear what I have to say. They can hear through it. My my point is that this system, when you have the AIU charging these cases, but they're sending DCOs of which a third party, and there's not always the, the, the DCO has to be perfect for this case to be followed through. And, and when the, in the case of Sawad Nasser, the tester didn't try this door that he didn't even know was going to lead to our apartment, or at least he says he tried it and it was locked, but there's no. There's no way to confirm that. So they side on they they go to the side of the athlete. Every time we get one of these whereabouts cases, we're just gonna roll our eyes and say, well, it may take a year, but the athlete's probably gonna get off, especially if they're they're high profile. And then you go to the case like you mentioned, Gabby Thomas, that case was egregious. That should not have been brought against her. It just feels like they're quick. The the AIU is kind of quick to bring these cases, these preliminary suspensions against the athlete. And that without even necessarily caring if they're going to be able to support it in, in a courtroom, it, uh, it doesn't look good for them and it doesn't look good for the sport. This is a strange yeah. scenario. I, something in the system needs to be fixed. But like I said, it's a, it's probably a, a, a good day for Christian Coleman. He's got to feel better about his case than he did before yesterday. And, you know, we kind of want to see Christian. I mean, I know we kind of, there's, there's, two halves to the argument like people want to see christian coleman have to be punished for his lack of 
attention to detail with his whereabouts failure. But at the same time, the 100 meter final at Olympics would not be the same if Coleman's not in it. We just have to be like, if we see Noah Lyles go there and win the 100 meter dash in 9 8, everyone's going to be thinking, all right, what would happen if Coleman was there, right? Would, uh, you don't, yeah, you don't I want that. that. Like, it's not fun when there's always like, well, we kind of know it's not a real title. I mean, it's a real title, but people always are going to be like, hey, you know, it's like when the Raptors. But if these athletes Golden truly State broke the Kevin rules, Durant, and, and you know, yeah, if, if the athletes truly broke the rules, then you expect this to be able to be followed through. Yeah, this doesn't. There's too many situations in in the world where people with influence. They get into a courtroom if they've done something wrong and they're able to get off because of their influence. And that's what this is starting to to feel like. That is a very – like, look at the cases of of Nasser and Gabby Thomas. Like, Gabby Thomas had this brought against her, and she was able to get off, sure, but the circumstances were much less clear and obvious that it was a whereabouts situation than it was uh, – than it was in the case of Nasser. Nasser seemed pretty seal-proof, and I don't understand why the impetus, why the uh, why the fault isn't on her side when she provides no instructions. And that's what I wrote in my article yesterday. It 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 seems like there should be some punishment on the end of the athlete. It should be written in the rules when they don't provide an exact step by step how to access their uh, their residence. How is that not on the end of the athlete? That did not make any sense to me. And I, as I wrote, the ruling mentions that Nasser quote did not help herself in many regards. She didn't help herself, but she did actually help herself because she was able to not be tested that day. Now that does not mean that she would have tested positive. It doesn't mean that. But I just don't understand how we can say that about herself. Well, she did something that was looked down upon but not when it comes down to it though is not against the rules that that language needs to change because this tester yes he didn't get to test her and so i guess he didn't fulfill his his job but he did he worked pretty dang hard and the compute the the directions were pretty confusing and uh somehow nasser was able to benefit from that 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 strikes me as a uh a hole in in the rule book here like, do you think someone could be like, hey, I don't want to get tested, so I'm going to say my address is Antarctica. They're going to show up there. It's going to take them a long time to get there. I get to three misses at Antarctica, right? And then all of a sudden, they'll be like, oh, we came to your house three times in Antarctica, and you weren't there. They're like, oh, well, that's I didn't mean different. Antarctica. I meant Argentina. I don't even know how to say yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Argentina? Argentina. There you go. There we go. Yeah, right. So, uh, I mean, that just, would I would hope that would like be a different, purposely put a different a... story. I mean, this was a case where the tester was probably, you know, two hundred feet away from Nasser the whole time, but he was banging on a storage unit door, which is hilarious. And 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 I I did enjoy get a chuckle out of the fact that in the report in the release of the 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 court proceedings there was a the mention that you could see gas canisters behind the storage unit door as this guy's knocking on it so uh I, it feels like there's like an snl skit to be had here if if track was a bigger deal of of a guy banging on a door that if he kind of would have maneuvered a little bit and brought himself to look over it he would have been able to see oh yeah that's not somebody's house that's where they keep old rusty gas cans and stuff so there there were some errors on the end uh, of the tester and they do mention it's not at fault for it, it, they do not blame him he did attempt to call her her number an updated i forgot to mention this an updated number was not listed in the database you you should have and i know they say and we learned in the coleman case well there's no obligation to call there should be a number though listed and this guy had to go to an old number that he found because he was employed by the company Company, uh, but I, you know, I have to think because the company he worked for, the third party, had her old number because they're used to testing somebody of her profile. Called that, that was disconnected. This, you can look at it and say, you know, Nasser had been tested, 
and she wasn't trying to maneuver out of these tests. Or you can look at it as and, and say, this is someone who is understanding that they can get away with being elusive and they're not going to be punished. And that's exactly what happened. And that does lead you to put cast some doubt on the on if Salwa E. Nasser is doing this 100% the right way. I don't ever want to suggest fully that an athlete is dirty, but when you don't have your phone number and you're not putting the full directions to be tested and you have other whereabouts failures on your record and you're, you're, you don't even yourself fill out your Adams database, that, that tells me you have something to hide. And other athletes were suggesting as much and were very disappointed in this ruling. It's not a good day for track and field. And this system only gets more head scratching. It's embarrassing. And the AI, I, I don't think anyone comes out looking good here. The tester doesn't look good. The AIU obviously brought a case against a high profile athlete and they lost. They don't look good. And Nasser looks like she's at best clueless and at worst trying to evade testing. It's it's just a it's a bad look. Yeah, it also shows how our sport is so fragmented. I mean, that like this type of stuff doesn't happen in major league uh, sports where there's teams involved and, you know, there's a lot more exactly. infrastructure surrounding the athletes to make sure that everything, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Here it's all like, you know, it's kind of weird, right? It's like that, like, I feel like. Sometimes athletes think, or like, I think a lot of times there are some professional track and field athletes who think they are the same level of importance as like the LeBron Jameses or the, you know, Mike Trouts in baseball, whatever, Tom Brady's, where like, hey, I'm the best in my sport. It's, so therefore, I'm at like a different class where you're like, you're, oh, I shouldn't have to worry about updating something on an app i'm too busy training because i'm the best in the world like oh i like someone else should cover that for me like i am in charge of you know i'm the number one in the sport because most likely tom brady doesn't need to update his whereabouts right the tampa bay buccaneers no track a different yeah. situation you're not gonna have people in the nfl living in bahrain yeah in california in finland and it, it's obviously different i mean every you know yeah yeah it's it's, well, it's that's totally what I'm saying. Yeah, because it's different, though. I think sometimes the athletes, though, just uh, are sometimes might get a little too comfortable and be like, "I'm the star of the sport. Why should I have to worry about small details like updating my phone number or making sure I put the directions correctly for my address? Like, this should be someone else's yeah. problem, which is it shouldn't. It should be your problem. But yeah, it absolutely you know, should. People, I, I am you know. of the opinion that Nasser should be suspended right now, um, and you know Coleman very well should be suspended as as well. If if we're going to bring these cases, and you know there's there's rule breaking here, I I don't understand how how we can reverse these. I mean, I do understand because I understand the way hierarchy in our society works, where big name athletes are able to get off, but it. Uh, Something in this system is broken, whether AIU needs to scale back these these suspensions to at best or at worst just save face for themselves. I don't know because the AIU is a joke right now. Um, and I, I appreciate the work they're doing, but their missions to to hold these athletes accountable has not been fulfilled. So it's like I, they're like a. They're like a business that in a, in 2020 that still uses Windows 95, right? They're like, they're just not with the times. Like they just, oh, this is how we always do it. They're like they're very simplified. They don't, you know, they only know how to do it one way. And like you said, they take 400 days to solve a problem. Like what the hell? Like, and you got to investigate, but there's got to be better ways to, to, to investigate. And I just, yeah, it's taken way too time, way too long, and that feels like something. It it kind of benefits the athlete, even though I I know Nasser had to miss this entire season. Now it was a lost season, but I I just I don't know. 
um, why why like, it needed why does it to take that long? And the longer it took, it's kind of like in a in a uh, when a jury deliberates for a long, long, long time, it makes you think. Uh, the longer it goes, it's like ah, the athlete's probably gonna or the the the, the defendant's probably gonna get off because there's like why did they have doubt. why do they have he said she said and and at all because the tester should just have a phone with them with a camera be like hey this is where I am this is this is their house. Oh, uh, you know, like- I, I think they need to change the rule about the, the phone call. I, I think I, we are all so connected. Um, if there is hardly any situation, if I am at home where someone could call me multiple times within an hour and I'm going to miss every single one of those phone calls. And I find it hard yeah. to believe. I, I, I can't believe that she was allowed to not list a phone number. They need to change the rule where the, the tester is under no obligation to call them. They should they should have to call. And it's not going to be what they should do. My phone, my phone was off. No, no, that that's not enough. Everyone has a phone these days. Yeah. And, and she should have had her, had to have, should have had to have had uh, her number updated. And, and and the call should have been the thing. Hey, I can't get in. I can't get in. Where are you at? You need to, you need to be tested. And that, that solves this issue. The phone call rule has to, has to change. Um, and they, they could easily was, make it. He would have been able to get in, and and yeah. and this would this would be no debate. I I think that actually benefits the athlete in in some kind of perverse way that they they're they're under no obligation to call that that makes it you know that 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 allows then the onus to be on the tester to have to find them, and if they're in this maze like Nasser was, if the if the tester can't completely crack the code then it's like well he couldn't find me that's not my fault uh i i I told him where to go well one she didn't even tell him where to go and then the phone didn't even get picked up too much complication that should not side on the athlete i think i've wasted enough breath on this today but this this system is broken needs to get fixed if we're actually going to do these whereabouts things because i think the world if they were paying attention fully to this would be like if this was usain bolt the world would be laughing at at this at, about yeah. how absurd it is that we can't get our high profile athletes uh, to follow the rules, and then they don't even get punished if they don't follow the rules. That's that's astounding to me. All right, let uh let's move on to these rankings, which you updated late last night. This is the as you dubbed them the COVID era rankings of cross country, and if anyone's not caught up here, it is NCAA cross country rankings for teams who have competed during this weird shortened cross country season. Uh, I assumed given that Northern Arizona debuted, BYU debuted, they would be up there in, and either, you know, want, I, I assume Northern Arizona would be number one. They are, I think the best team in the country. They won a, I, a, I do think they're the best team in the country. Oklahoma well. State and BYU over the weekend. Why is Northern Arizona ranked fourth on the men's side? Why are they behind Arkansas, Notre Dame, and most importantly, Oklahoma State, who they beat on Oklahoma State's home course last Saturday? Amit, you were at in person. You have to explain to me how in the world NAU is fourth. Okay, so first of all, let's take a step back. These are unique rankings. These are not like rankings we've done in previous years where we we are subjective and we take into account athletes who maybe are tempoing or not even running yet different things like that where you kind of just look at a bigger picture you're trying to really give a true honest depiction of who is the best team who's the second best team right kind of like the college football playoff you're trying it's not just the top four records right it's like you want to know who the top four teams are on the eye test in this situation it is not an eye test it is just who you've run how fast they've run and that is it. So one thing I'll, I'll start with. All right. So right now the rankings are Arkansas 1, Notre Dame 2, Oklahoma State 3, Northern Arizona 4, BYU 5. So before that, it was Notre Dame 1, Arkansas 2, Oklahoma State 3, and then NAU and BYU weren't ranked because they hadn't run yet. All right. So why? first of all, why is Northern Arizona behind Oklahoma State, you may ask? So if you look at the result of the the, the uh, OSU meet, it's kind of deceptive, uh, a little deceptive of what happened because and, uh, Oklahoma State's number four man was 
I think, 10 seconds better than NAU's number three. And in this situation, there's a lot of points that will happen between for a 10-second gap that would make NAU's three, four, five be a lar- much larger number. If that makes any sense? Mm. When you add in more yeah. bodies, basically NAU's three, four, five's point scores are much higher than there's a lot more people when you add in other names that will fall between Oklahoma State's three and NAU's the uh, Oklahoma State's five, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma State's four and NAU's three. There's a lot more bodies that will fall between then that will fall in front of Oklahoma State's two, That's whatever. Fine. Regardless, what yeah. I'm trying to say is when you add in more bodies, the scores don't yeah. play out the way they do in a dual meet setting, which is what we had mm-hmm. or tri meet setting. Also, NAU isn't getting credit for Nico Young. So you throw yeah. Nico Young in there, NAU clearly is a much better team, but we're pretending this is a Nico Young less team. We're pretending this is a Theo Quacks less team, uh Blaze Farrell less team. Oklahoma so all those factors is what like look at this. People forget. So NAU, they won, right? They had a 48 second spread. For perspective, yeah, they had a 16 second spread in Nuttycomb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, we look at the just the final result and we see NAU won. All right, they're dominating. They had a 48-second spread. That's a big spread. And if you have a 48-second spread and you throw in Arkansas and Ole Miss and all these other teams, Notre Dame, that 48-second spread makes your point total skyrocket. And that's the overall reason. Mm-hmm. Their I, spread that's wasn't that good. Why 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 are Arkansas and Notre Dame? Obviously they haven't competed against Oklahoma State and NAU and BYU. Why are they ahead? I mean, in that rat reasoning or in that rationale, teams like Oklahoma State should be number one, um, given the, the quality of the teams that well, they were really close to beating or beat in BYU's case. Why why are Arkansas and Notre Dame ahead? So Arkansas 100% is number one because when they throw in Amon Kemboy, you look at what they did at the Blazer Classic, they had a 13-second spread led by a top-five guy. And they had a 13-second mm-hmm. spread between the top five. They had a, like a 15-second spread between the top six. They basically had a NAU at Nuttycomb type performance, but at the Blazer Classic. Now, again, the competition isn't as good, but they still – their lead guy is a 1330 guy. They have a 1340 guy, like, and they're showing that they're at, at that ability. And then their pack, their three, four, five, six are right behind them, just seconds away. Arkansas's yeah. top six run basically cemented them as like, all right, we have the depth to compete. Again, NAU is the best team in the country. These rankings, though, mm. aren't showing who's the best team in the country. They're showing who is leading the race based off of performances that teams have thrown down. Like, mm-hmm. so okay. it's, 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 but, it, it, yeah. yeah. To me, though, when you said that, when you kind of explained the rationale of why NAU's behind Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, and Arkansas, you seem to sow some seeds of concern. Now, I know, again, they were without Nico Young, and word is that Nico Young is shown himself to be as good as advertised thus far in practice and training. Um, wh- uh, however, without him, and we're just, we're looking at a team that we thought, you know, one is experienced and had a bunch of guys coming back that were, had been all Americans in the past. Are you, are you not concerned with this roster in the long term heading into in 2021, will they run the NCAA championships on this course? Are you concerned that they are perhaps not as as they ultimately will be not be as good as as we thought they would be? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you this because this team <laughs> found out they were racing two weeks out. They thought they weren't racing until <laughs> January. Yeah. So they're training like they're not racing till January, and then they get mm-hmm. two weeks heads notice. Like, oh, by the way, you're gonna race. Oh, and by the way, we're going to drive 13 hours for the race. And by the way, there's really nothing on the line. Like, who cares if you win, lose? We're just racing to race. So the performances of – I mean, Drew Bosley 
and uh, Brody Hasey didn't run well, right? They were in their top six, but like Drew Bosley's but much better than what he did at this yeah. at that meet. So I'm not concerned yeah. because I mean, same reason I'm not concerned for BYU. I mean, Brandon Garnica and uh, Matt Owens ran even worse. They were like finishing the 50s at least, uh, and they used like Pack finished like in the teens. Like Oklahoma State yeah. was running like it was their championship race. NAU and BYU were running like, oh, all right, hey, we get to see the course. No, no pressure. Like, yeah. I, I think that the obviously Grijalva is just at a different level where he can go to a meet and like try to win it, which is what he did. Same with like a Mance and Klinger. But these pack guys, they just didn't have the same like importance of like trying to show what they got their fitness level isn't i mean again we're five months out from when they they got to be their best so their nau's ranking right now it's based off of an incomplete team and a resume in a race where there was there was zero stake so yeah you know it's like judging it's like judging aaron Rodgers potential based off of his stats in a preseason game. You're like, mm-hmm. you don't you don't be like, well, Tim Tebow threw for three touchdowns in the preseason. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw an interception, so therefore Tim Tebow is better than Aaron Rodgers. No, Aaron Rodgers is better. But in this situation, because it's COVID era, it's purely based off of what they do, so therefore they're ranked fourth. Well, you, you just, to me, highlighted my case against your rankings because you were talking about with – in a you putting them behind Oklahoma State, well, it's because if you make this more of a legitimate race, then Oklahoma State's going to beat NAU, which I can hear that. I can hear that argument. Um, absolutely, yeah. This they oh, NAU benefited from this being a small meet, but your COVID era rankings, I thought, don't have that context to to boost them here. It's supposed to be no. It's whatever you do. It's whoever runs. That that's how we're going to judge you. Well. This was a small meet, and this was all they had. So shouldn't you just look at it in the COVID era way and say, no, this is a small meet, and I don't care what the context is outside of this. It's this is who won the meet, and that's who should should be ahead. And they don't have any benefit of any other bigger meets, so therefore they should be ahead of Oklahoma State. No, I don't think you understand. The team rankings aren't calculated based off of how everyone's team performances are. It's calculated by taking everyone's individual, put them in one giant meet, and then scoring it. <coughs> yeah, see, so, I didn't. I didn't. I missed that part. Yeah, because how are you gonna compare two first? If a team wins one meet and a team wins another meet, how do you decide who beat two? You got to put them. Mm-hmm. You got to put all their individuals in one major mass meet. So basically, what happens is I take every result and I give every result a rating, a play, a athlete rating, right? And basically. It's whatever your best rating of the season is. So, for instance, Oklahoma State's top five, their top four, their best ratings come from the OSU meet. But Ryan Shope, their true freshman, his best rating comes from Cowboy Jamboree. So, basically, Oklahoma State's ratings are four from the OSU meet and one from the Cowboy Jamboree. Then that's their top five. And those are the five ratings that go into the mega meet where we decide how it would have all played out. So therefore, mm-hmm. NAU only has one rating for per each person, right? So it's whatever they did. They don't have any chance to improve it or to make it better. Like Arkansas, like they had opportunities to make their rating better. And Notre Dame, their ratings are all just based off of a dual meet with Louisville. So they just had a really good meet at Louisville. So their ratings are just going to stay high. So there's no way for there's no way for NAU to improve until they run another meet, which they're not going to do, but. It's all based on rating. So everyone gets a rating. If you run three times, you have three different ratings. You take the best of your three ratings, and that's your representative rating. I put them into a meet that has 800 people in it. I score it. I take the top 35 teams, and then I rescore it with just the top 35 teams, and then these are the top 25. Well, we're not going to get an 800-person meet during during the exactly. COVID era. That's, that's for sure. So this is, I guess, the way we... <laughs> We have to do it. Uh, yeah, you're going to find me being a skeptic of these rankings, but that's fine. I'm not trying to, to trying to diminish the work you've done. That That's great. One question I want to ask coming off this men's race at, at Oklahoma State, um, because separate from this 
cross country season, which we know is short. Like you mentioned, NAU is not going to run again. This was kind of just a glorified time trial for them. Um, who did you come away most impressed with? And I'll bring up three subjects. Two will be individuals, one one as a team. Who was most impressive? Luis Grijalva winning the meet, coming back. His last cross-country race was a dud. Now he's beating Connor Mans. Uh, two, Casey Klinger finishes very, very well. He finishes – I need to get my – he gets, third. he got third in this race, in his first cross-country race in almost three years, coming back off a of Mormon mission. Or three, Oklahoma State, who we were kind of wondering. Dave Smith said, oh, they were really good, best team since 2010, which would be absurd to me, was absurd to me sounding because they won in whatever it was, 2012. And I thought, no way this team is this good. This team didn't even make NCAAs last year. But it does appear that they are actually as good as advertised. Who were you most impressed by, Grijalva, Klinger, or Oklahoma State as a team? I guess I have to say... Oklahoma State is a team. I'll say the reason why I Grijalva's not there is because Grijalva, he's good. Like, he ran 743 in the 3K. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just – he had one bad race. He was great all the way to the regular season in cross country. He yeah. is not the 50th best cross country runner, which is where he finished. He is a top five guy. Um, I was impressed with his relaxation, uh, but – if someone told you Luis Grijalva was going to win this race, you wouldn't be like, wait, what? You'd be like, okay, yeah, I can see that happening, right? Casey Klinger, same thing. We knew he was good based on word, uh, word of mouth. People were saying he's fit. They might, He might even be better than, than Mance. So I guess there was a little bit of surprise because like, you haven't seen it since 2017, so you just want to see it with your real eyes to show that he's, that he's fit. But people were saying he was fit for the past six months. Uh, so again, there's no surprise there. Um, he's not a so- I mean, he's a sophomore on paper, but let's remember, like he's basically the same school year as Luis Grijalva. Like they were both freshmen yeah. in 2017. So like his body is that of a man, of a 22 year old man. Um, it's not like it's kind of weird because your memory of Casey Klinger is of a true freshman coming off of NXN victories, right? And you're like, all right, this is. Year two of that, it was like, no, this is really like, that was a long time ago. It was like five years ago, right? So um, that's why I think like, it's just, the Casey Klinger thing is like, it was just confirmation. It wasn't really a big surprise. Oklahoma State, that was the biggest surprise in my opinion. Watching it was weird because I was thinking, wait a minute, like they're not falling off. Like they're two, three, four. Are all there? Where's their five? I don't see an NAU battling with their two, three, four. Like they might win it, um, and you could mm-hmm. tell they were they were trying to win it. Like they were putting all their eggs in this basket to try to prove people like, hey, we're back. Oklahoma State's back because they, let's be honest, they haven't been good for about three to four years, right? So, right. like, it's great to now have Oklahoma State in the conversation of a podium team, like. Mm-hmm. They weren't in that conversation since for for a while, right? And uh, yeah, I think that beating Iowa State kind of took back that mantle in the Big Twelve because Iowa State was a podium team last year. Uh, I was surprised most by that. Um, they still though aren't like like ooh they might win nationals good because you could see the really the, even the on flaws their own course. Yeah, you can see the flaws they had. Like Isai Rodriguez is not isn't there yet right he was he i he was I there for, i think he i think he's pretty good he's so aggressive and on his home uh, on his home course i think there's some advantages there i think he's a sleeper to win the national title i actually left really impressed yes i know he faded at the end but he's just so aggressive and not not at all like afraid he doesn't care that his fitness isn't there he's gonna go up and 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 challenge people when he's fit he's one of the best runners in the country yeah no yeah i just don't think he's there yet i think that He's just not as fit as Mance and Grijalva. Maybe he'll get there, but I would put my money on Grijalva, Mance, or an Arkansas guy over. I think Isai is going to be in it. I think, though, he in the end will fade to like 10th, which is still good, right? Mm-hmm. That's still a low stick. Uh, but again, so they have him, but then they're two, three, four. They're good. They're all still kind of like unknown commodities. I mean, Smeaton's a good steepler. Um, 
I think their two, three, four all could finish top forty on a good day, but then they also all could finish in the sixties, right? And if that happens, all of a sudden, then they're a top, then they're then they're finishing seventh, right? Instead of top mm-hmm. four. So, I guess Oklahoma State is just going to be a show me on that day team for me. And then once they do, then they're going to be like a scary team. And the reason why they'll be a scary team is. If they do show it in March, a lot of those guys return, and therefore 2023 and 2024 will be an uh, introduction of Oklahoma State back on the scene. Like they're on, they're kind of like there on the scene yet, but you can't really be on the scene until you do it at a championship meet, right? Um, yeah. And then their fifth is a true freshman, so you know, right? Maybe he'll have That's a, a gonna... run. Yeah, he have a race of his lifetime. Any... Maybe he ran. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, is NAU still the team of the future, clearly, uh, even though they were, they lose Grijalva after this year. But you look at Oklahoma State, Rodriguez is a junior, and then their number two guy at this meet, Meyer, sophomore. Shisama, a freshman, a redshirt freshman, but a freshman. Smeaton's a senior. But then you go to Shope, who's a fresh, like you said, a true a true freshman. They've got a lot of potential. Uh, and it's, it is cool. It feels right. Everything feels a little closer to, to right in the world when Oklahoma State is back being competitive and not kind of falling down like, like they have been the, la- the last couple of years. So it's cool to see, cool to see them uh, back. Uh, one more question before we, we end today's show. The, the three kind of surprised, maybe not surprised because Arkansas is really stocked up with some with some quality quality names. Um, which team do you think is ultimately though a pretender of teams who have really done well in this in this short and fall season? Arkansas, Notre Dame, or Oklahoma State? Which which teams uh, going to be off the podium when it down, when it comes down to it in in March? I would say Notre Dame. Um... Yeah, that would be my one team that's like not really there. And Notre Dame and Iowa State, those two teams haven't really done much. I mean, Notre Dame though only has one race on their resume. It was a home dual meet against Louisville. I mean, Notre Dame, if they run well at ACCs, uh, that'll be a, a better sign to show like, okay, you guys got it. But until then, kind of just it's a wait and see on Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. I think – I mean, when, when all is said and done, I think it's going to be Arkansas, Northern Arizona, BYU as a top three in any order, and then everyone else fighting for that fourth with like it being mm-hmm. a battle between Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, uh, Oregon, you know, those type of teams. So Portland, right? Portland will be probably that team. Yeah. Right. Man, Arkansas. I'm I'm just starting to get my get a little familiar with Arkansas. They are transfer you this year. They got JUCO transfers. Camboy, obviously the the big attraction. Chabosin, he already seems to be better. And then you add back in Gilbert Boyd, who they didn't have last year. This is a team that didn't make what well, they didn't even make nationals last year. And no, all of a sudden they they're like, they, yeah. oh, they did. They well, made it because they're coming out of South Central. South Central yeah. yeah, sorry. But, but they like were 30. irrelevant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were bad. They're bad, basically, was the point. Uh, they are no longer bad because of their transfers and they're a year older. Uh, that that is a team to watch out for. And I know you know that they're ranked currently number one in in your in your rankings. But that's a team that could surprise people. It's fun to have these teams back. Like I, I was just talking with Oklahoma State. Like, oh, okay, they're back after some down years. If Arkansas is back after some some down years, I mean, that's a that's a true legacy cross country program. It's going to be a fun fun meet in March, and maybe some people won't look at it at the March cross country championships as you know it's a weird year with the pandemic and cross country in March. What is this? It's going to be a very fascinating race on on the men's side and the women's side too. Of course, you know we haven't seen. We haven't seen – we've seen Arkansas, but we haven't gotten the full NC State experience. We haven't seen Caitlin Tui yet. We've got to see so what New Mexico, New Mexico has to offer. They have yeah. the individual favorite. It, it, it's going to be really, really cool when this meet comes comes back to, to Stillwater and everyone's there. Hopefully we can pull it off uh, because I I love that course. I, I love what they've, they've done with it. As Mike Smith said, the Bermuda, it's lovely to run on. I'm really excited for for 
us hopefully going us in person all all going to Stillwater in in March. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah, and also on the women's side, I want to give a big shout out. Surprise team, I think, of the entire COVID era cross country season. Mm-hmm. The North Carolina women, they the low key factor, have been baby. Having, they've been having a low key great season. I have them ranked third right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been they've been running well. I mean, they're, and they're, they've been racing up against NC State in most of their meets, and they've been holding their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they do at ACCs, but I'll call right now. I think North Carolina will finish second at ACCs. Mm. That's my prediction. Um, let's look at the North Carolina. I'm less familiar. It looks like they got a freshman. That yeah, is that right? They had a freshman win, Sasha, or is that the B race? Yeah, no, Sasha no, Nagila. Right. So this yeah. is their races. So at the Virginia Invite, they beat. Virginia and Wake Forest in a try meet. So they beat Virginia Wake Forest. And then at the Wolfpack meet, they they got second to NC State, but you know, they held their own. And yeah. then at the Wake Forest UNC NC State, then they won that meet, but then they they beat NC State's B team. So Yeah, I was gonna say NC State did not run a good team. Yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. hey, there's no looking good they, for them. It's looking good. The, this this freshman yeah. Sasha Naglia, how good was she? And she a true freshman, freshman freshman. Looks like it. Yeah, she only has three races on her keepers. So big it's things. And, and NC State, NC, or excuse me, UNC's got some big recruits coming. If I'm not mistaken, they had the the 2018 uh, uh, Footlocker champion coming ultimately yeah. to them. So Milk can recruit. Yeah, There's Brown no doubt too, about right? that. They got yes, Bryn Brown yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so North Carolina on the women's side maybe the team of the future, just like NC State. It's going to be a, a Tar Heel State battle, baby. Yeah. What's up? Tobacco I mean, this Sasha, this Sasha Naglia, she was 24th at NXN. So, But then she won like all of her other cross-country meets. So, She's the hey. Drew Bosley. Of, she's the Drew yes. Bra- Bosley freshman. Stinks at NXN and then ru- immediately is a factor in NCAAs. All right. Yep. Uh, that'll do it for us. I think we covered a lot of topics today. Email the show, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you tomorrow.